From Portland, Oregon, this is Religion for Life at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. Religionforlife.com. I'm John Shuck. I'm settling into my new home in Portland and my new position as minister at Southminster Presbyterian, a progressive community in Beaverton, Oregon. I wish to thank WETS, Johnson City, Tennessee, WEHC, Emory, Virginia, and KZUM, Lincoln, Nebraska, for carrying Religion for Life, especially during this transition time. For the past four months, the stations have broadcast classic Religion for Life programs, commonly known as reruns. If you are listening to one of those stations, please call them and thank them for carrying Religion for Life and uh, give them a few bucks, won't you? Well, let's get right to the good stuff. One of the most profound thinkers regarding religion and culture is Professor Lloyd Gearing of Wellington, New Zealand. What do we mean when we speak of God? Is the term meaningful any longer? How has it evolved? Is there a way to reclaim God for a modern world? Is secular Western culture the logical development of Christianity? Professor Gearing has written books with such titles as Christianity Without God, From the Big Bang to God, Tomorrow's God, Wrestling with God, and his latest, Reimagining God, The Faith Journey of a Modern Heretic. Via Skype, from Wellington, New Zealand. Welcome, Professor Gearing, to Religion for Life. Thank you. Uh, your latest book is uh, Reimagining God, uh, The Faith Journey of a Modern Heretic. And I was wondering, do you consider yourself a heretic? Not at all, really. But, of course, in some ways, heresy is an outmoded concept, really. Uh-huh. And, um, as, um, as one sociologist said, uh, we're all heretics today because ever since the Enlightenment, we have been encouraged to think for ourselves. And uh, a heretic is simply a person who has the audacity to think for himself and come to conclusions which were different from those of the group that he belonged to. And uh, in fact, in your book, you say that we are all now theological do-it-yourselfers. That's exactly, yes, that's the case, yes. That's what the Enlightenment opened up, really, in the Western world. And, of course, uh, further afield in many ways, though um, the uh, the Islamic world is having trouble with it. Um, but um, I think uh, the Chinese world has come to terms with that, and that although there is some restrictions, nevertheless, there is a good deal of independent thinking going on there now. Well, I find even in the, the evangelical community, uh, in the United States uh, at least, that uh, even there there's a welcoming of a... Is the, the idea of heresy is not really something uh, that comes to play there even. I'm glad to hear that because um, as I see fundamentalism generally, whether it's Christian or Muslim, um, there's a, the, the fundamentalist, as it were, is is locked into... Uh, a way of thinking, in 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 some and and is it's a form of self imprisonment in a way, uh, because for their own safety they uh, won't allow themselves to think outside the circle. Right, and your book is called Reimagining God. Uh, so you're really taking on the big topic of of of, of the change that God, uh, the, the way we think of God, uh, from ancient times to the present. Yes, well, as you know, we live in a time when the traditional 
understanding of God is um, no longer makes all that much sense. Mm -hmm. The question is whether to stop using the word God altogether as the uh, or reject it as the atheist does or to see what role it has played. And here is something that um, Gordon Kaufman, the theologian from Harvard who died a few years ago, he drew my attention to the fact that and the word God has played a very important role. It's, it's functioned, for example, in, in a way of helping people to unify the world they live in. But because everything was attributed to God, then and God became, as it were, the unifier of, of the world. And indeed, and I would want to argue, as I do in the book, really, that um, modern science would not have evolved in the way it did if it hadn't been for the basic concept of God unifying everything and making the world subject or open to rational exploration. It's important to see that in its day, the word God was a very important word indeed, and that it's worthwhile, as it were, finding out or reimagining um, how it can be understood in the world we live in today. I want to explore a little, or have you explore a little bit further uh, with me when you talk about God and modern science, because it's often understood that uh, religion or God was opposed to modern science, but you're, you're saying that the concept of God actually gave people um, something to, to shoot for, I guess, some kind of rationality, some kind of uh, consistency in the universe itself. And, and, and all the early scientists in the Western world, of course, believed in God in a more traditional way, and it enabled them to see the world as a unity. Indeed, in many ways, the opening chapter of the Bible, I still think, is one of the most marvelous documents ever written, composed as it was by Jewish thinkers in ancient Babylon, because in many ways, it was a scientific thesis uh, not exactly science as we know it, but it was a thesis which in those days only had to sound convincing to be accepted. And, uh, and it and it'd be, it remained convincing until about 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that set the basis for seeing all reality as going back to one source and having a kind of unity about it. And um, that is what um, ecology is helping us to understand today. Well, what does God mean today? I mean, can, how, how can we reasonably use that word or that symbol uh, in, in our time? Well, it's a symbolic word. And first of all, it stands for the unity of the universe. And, of course, I think we make a mistake of personalizing the word mm-hmm. it's a it's a word which stands for the mystery of life itself um, for for what for always transcends us you, God is a symbol for what we cannot wholly grasp it, it um, um, so it, it has many facets it's a symbol for life's meaning as well as uh, as well as the future. I mean, uh, in many ways, um, we are 
and, and this is something which Tehadashadang uh, made much was, made much of, as he saw it. And um, God is 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 the process of, of evolution, and it and it's moving and changing and developing as we go along. So there are lots of ways of of using the word God, which uh, can be very helpful to us, I think. So so we could use it without literalizing it, uh, without uh, pers- uh, personalizing the word, uh, having, in some sense, a fluidity to it. Um, you talk about in your book uh, that uh, you can't really define God, and once you define it, it's no longer God. Exactly, yes. <laughs> yes, the God who is defined is, is no God. If you're just joining us on Religion for Life, my guest is New Zealand theologian Lloyd Gearing. Uh, He is the author of Reimagining God, The Faith Journey of a Modern Heretic, and I'm speaking with him via Skype from his home in Wellington, New Zealand. And you write in your book uh, several times that we are moving into a post-Christian era, Uh, but that isn't necessarily anti-Christian. Oh, no, not anti-Christian. The, the modern world has grown out of the Christian world. One can hardly uh, um, question that, because historically one has only has to follow history. First of all, it did it by, by um, mis- Christian missionaries uh, taking Christianity all around the world. But then, and then it had an effect upon it. It didn't necessarily make the world orthodox Christian. Indeed, orthodox Christianity is now, in my view, outmoded. And we have to see Christianity as an an evolving uh, cultural tradition. And that uh, to uh, appreciate it, we've we've got to um, we've, we've got to. Look at things in the in the context in which they're found, so that what is true in one century um, is no longer true in a later century. I, I came to realise this a lot more when I was uh, writing my book on evolution, which you, of course you know about from the Big Bang to God, and that one has to um, one has to surrender the idea that there are absolutes that we can that remain the same for all time, um, what we think is always rel- relative to the age in which we live and the, and, and the kind of knowledge, which is always limited knowledge, the kind of limited knowledge we have in the age, so that um, we, we look into an unknown future and we look into a past which we partly know and appreciate, though, of course, we can never know the whole of the past, and Christianity, then, of course, or becoming post-Christian, how, how how do you decide, or what do you think, are things that we can still draw from this tradition, and what things are are we leaving behind? Well, one has only to think of what's happened in the in the twentieth century. Now, uh, the Western world was much more traditionally Christian at the beginning than it was at the end, and one might think that that Christianity was left behind. But what changed during the thing was that certain values which it inherited from uh, Christianity became more and more dominant during the 20th century. For example, uh, we began to see the evil of racism. We began to recognize there had to be more equality between men and women. Uh, And more latterly, of course, we've had to realize uh, that 
sexuality wasn't such a simple division into male and female as we thought, and and that it it, it um, there are various types of sexuality, and we have to accept um, that form of sexuality which we normally know as gays and lesbians as all part of the the natural condition of of human of the human race. So these are. These are ways in which we have grown during the 20th century. And I see these, even though traditional Christians often uh, tried to stem the flow of these changes, I see these as the legitimate continuation of the Christian tradition into the modern world. The modern secular world I see as the present form of Christianity. Indeed, in many ways... It exemplifies the central Christian doctrine of incarnation. The incarnation doctrine was that God had come down to earth. God had become human. Well, in a sense, and we, the human race, is becoming more godlike. Of course, it's got a lot, it's got a lot of way to go yet, but it, 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 it's taking more responsibility and has to take more responsibility for the, the future of, of the earth. So uh, I see this as the legitimate continuation of the Christian tradition. So those folks, those friends of mine who are uh, listening to this program right now, my, my buddies who no longer go to church, uh, who are uh, perhaps they might call themselves agnostic, maybe they even call themselves atheist, uh, perhaps they might even call themselves spiritual but not necessarily religious, uh, but they believe in ethics and caring for earth and in social justice, they are in a sense the logical continuation of the Christian tradition. Exactly so, and indeed, um, the, the, the church, by um, trying to uh, preserve what belonged to the past, is is doing Christianity a, a great deal of harm. They're not seeing it as a living tradition, and so uh, many people have left the church simply because they can no longer be comfortable within the church. In, in the the church seems to, to, to them to be holding back their spiritual growth. You do uh, speak uh, in your book uh, about the positive aspects of uh, of Christianity back in it and its roots. That is of the of the coming together of people. Uh, that that can be a, a positive thing for a spirituality of the future. Oh yes, I think uh, I, I think um, we humans um, belong to each other. And and we must come to value uh, human relationships and particularly human community. Um, And I think in spite of the mm, obvious clashes in in wars and so on that are going on at the moment, um, we are moving towards that. For example, uh, at the the present moment, um, the powers that be are wondering how they should react to what's going on with ISIS. Well, a hundred years ago, they would have been in this boots and all very easily. But now they're much more cautious because they know that this could easily lead to a third world war, which they want to avoid. So that during the 20th century, for example, we moved from the point where uh, being a soldier was one of the greatest things you could be to, to one in which we are now somewhat suspicious of all military force because we want to solve our 
problems in, in a better and more peaceful way than that. So that we, we are moving towards more community than one might think we are. And, uh, and and even some of the uh, the rituals of traditional Christianity uh, may still have a future, uh, such as the, the, the sharing of, uh, of hospitality. Yes. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. You've probably heard about the Sunday Assembly, have you? Yes, I have. It, the atheist, and, and the it's, atheist it's church. It's interesting here yeah. that a group of atheists came to realize that in giving away a traditional Christianity, they'd thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, and because they had lost a, 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 um, a, a, pr- a process by which they met regularly together to nurture true community. And that, I think, is the most important thing for the church to continue to do. It, it's not to, uh, it, it's not to uh, bring to people absolute truths, uh, of an authoritative kind. It's to help people work out together to solve their own solutions in life and to do it by sharing with one another. I mean, that's really why I still go to church. I'm to, and I, uh, <clears throat> I have, at several places recently, uh, talked to people about, about um, going to church and the reason for it. And as I see it, it's um, it, it's it's to establish true community and help us to learn from one another, and we do this by looking at our past. We read the scriptures. We we see how we've come to be what we are, and and how and that it gives us uh, certain ideas and inspirations about moving on into the future. So I see church going as a very important thing, uh, which can help us all. How do you uh, connect this, perhaps, with other religious traditions, say Judaism and Islam? Do you also see something similar going on in those traditions, uh, a modernization? In Judaism, yes. Um, uh, I think there's something similar going on there, in that, and that, that's really why uh, liberal Judaism, reform Judaism, um, grew out of um, orthodoxy. Uh, because it, it it saw the necessity of the value of of people meeting together, I'm I'm not I, I don't see it it to the same extent in Islam. But then I, I don't know enough of what's going on in the in the Islamic world generally. Uh, Lloyd Gehrig is my guest on Religion for Life. He's the author of a new book called Reimagining God, The Faith Journey of a Modern Heretic. Uh, near, at the beginning of the book, you talk about uh, uh, some of the theological um, uh, main players uh, in terms of a, a modern, uh, the modern world, Friedrich Schleiermacher and Ludwig Feuerbach, uh, Carl Jung, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, John Robinson. Who, of those five, who would you say is, has had the biggest impact in, in, uh, in terms of modern thought and, and, and why? I chose these as good examples of, of people who have, uh, have helped me to grow in my own understanding of the Christian tradition. And I, the more I've studied the past, the more I've realized that the 19th century in particular uh, was a century of, of uh, great creativity, particularly from Schleiermacher onwards. And, of course, my own theological teacher introduced me to Schleiermacher, and he spoke of Schleiermacher a great deal, because Schleiermacher 
and really helped us to leave behind the absoluteness of of uh, uh, the Christian dogmas and change theology from a study of dogmatism to an open-ended attempt to, as my theological teacher said, to think oneself through Christianity and relate it to all other knowledge. Well, at a time when knowledge has been expanding exponentially as it has been in the last 200 years, and particularly the 20th century, that's a pretty tall task. Mm. So theology has, has, has really changed in its character in 200 years. And these people that I mention here, uh, Schleiermacher, uh, Feuerbach, uh, and then, of course, in the 20th century, Carl Jung and Theodor Chardin, um, uh, have all uh, taken vast steps away from the traditional, but they've never rejected the past. The past was the past, and you have to value it in its own time. So it's, it's not a case of, as modern, the modern atheists do, simply rejecting everything. It's a matter of understanding the past and learning from it, but not being bound by what they say. One of your chapters is called Ethics Without God. And, of course, one of the arguments that people always make to me is that one must have a concept of, of God in order to do good, that uh, we need God in order to keep us ethical. Uh, what, what are ethics without God? Oh, ethics has changed, too, in that respect, in that it used to be the, the study of, of the morals laid down in the past. But um, mm. eth ethics... Is, a, is again an open-ended uh, exercise in which we try to see, uh, to examine our various forms of human behavior and see to what extent they can be justified or not, as the case may be, in, on the basis of certain fairly general principles. And as the um, um, founder of um, Situation Ethics said, in, in many ways, there is one principle that should be remain supreme in all ethical activities, and that is the principle of love, or we might say mutual concern for one another and mutual concern not only for other human beings, but for all forms of life, and for the earth itself, this is becoming more dominant in these ecological days. Yeah, your, your last chapter is speaking about spirituality for an ecological age, and that is, in a sense, and, and that's also when I read in, in many of your other books, of, of, of coming back to earth, of uh, yes. God to Gaia, uh, of that, uh, that aspect of putting our highest value uh, in, this, in this earth home. Well, exactly. You see, it's a big turnaround from the days when, uh, as our church spires showed us, we, we, we were always pointing up to heaven, to heaven above, which was mm -hmm. to be our final home. Now, now we are, with our new view of what the universe is and of what the earth is, um, this is our home. This is our only home. It's the only home of, of not just us, but of the human species. And, and, and we've got to learn to look after this home or 
um, or there will be no future for the human race. What do you think uh, about when I I all hear this argument every now and then that um, this this religious view is is not enough. We somehow need to have a, a vision of an afterlife or or something beyond that. What is the need for human beings to uh, have that need? Well, why is it that we uh, demand something more than than the universe isn't quite enough for us? Well, I'm not quite sure how one can say it's not enough for us. The the universe itself is just Uh awe-inspiring. And it's not just just the masses of um, galaxies that's awe-inspiring, namely by its size, but but by what what the universe has done in that, that the mystery of the universe, the real mystery of the universe, is why does it not stay the same? The, the mystery of the universe is that it keeps moving and, what, and, and it moves in the direction of complexity. That is, simple things join together to become more complex entities. And it's been doing that for 13 billion years. And, and why it does it, I mean, we can't say that it's, the universe is just like that. And, and, and we have emerged as a part of that growing complexity. And as and I as I see that, and as Teilhard Sandang saw it, it, it's moving towards something even more complex than we know now. Indeed, uh, we we may be moving to the point where the human species um, learns to live together in love and harmony. That that it becomes an, a new kind of entity in itself, much more complex than than the individuals that make it. Of course. Uh, there's no guarantee that that will happen, but uh, that would be of the nature of the universe for that to happen. Yeah, I think there's there, there's a there's a tendency. I guess what I was getting at in that question uh, that we have as human beings this need to be immortal. That somehow that need to to our ego to continually survive even our death itself. And I, I kind of wonder if that's what keeps uh, kind of traditional religion going. Is that uh, that uh, that quest for the individual immortality. I suppose yes. Uh, in the in the days and past, that um, m- most cultures had some kind of belief in a continuation of of, of existence. See, the remarkable thing about the the Jewish tradition was that they accepted death for what it is, uh-huh. and. Um, um, and, and in that respect, back in, say, 2,000 years ago, and, and Judaism was rather alone in the ancient world. And it, it, uh, I mean, there is much in the Bible that really supports the view that, that life is limited. It's limited between conception and death. And one must, one must learn to make the most of it. Uh, and... Uh, the, what what lives on are our genes. They 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 have a kind of immortality, and they are being passed on from generation to generation. But each of us is a belongs to the age in in, in which we live. We're twentieth century or twenty first century people, and in that respect, of course, we're different from the sixteenth century people or the first century people. Uh, so we were all products of a particular culture and a particular age. And, that, uh, and, and so part of our task is to develop a spirituality of mortality. 
in a sense, to accept our being on this place for this time and to live it fully. Yes, I agree thoroughly with that, yes. Lloyd Gearing has been my guest on Religion for Life, the author of Reimagining God, The Faith Journey of a Modern Heretic. Uh, Professor Gearing, uh, thank you for your work throughout all of the years, and this book in particular, and for being with me on Religion for Life. Thank you. I've enjoyed being with you and, and discussing these great issues with you. Thank you, John. You've been listening to Religion for Life. Subscribe to this podcast at religionforlife.com. Special thanks to KBOO Portland, Oregon for production assistance. Religion for Life can be heard on WETS Johnson City, Tennessee, WEHC Emory, Virginia, KZUM Lincoln, Nebraska, and worldwide via podcast. Be welcome.